At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. God, praise for our worship team. Yeah. And any children that are here right now that are going to be going to kids ministry, they can be released to kids ministry. Uh, So thank you so much for worshiping with us. If you're a child, we love having you with us. Love, love, love having you with us. Enjoy kids ministry. I think you're going to make a bracelet today, so get excited, parents. Okay, so um, I have it on really good authority that I am not cool at all. Amen? You can say amen. I know I'm not. It's okay. I'm just not cool, right? I know I'm not. But I'm going to say something that you might be tricked for a moment, that you might think I'm cool, and I'm not. And even on, on Facebook, I can't even trick you in, in digital, the digital space. But I'm going to say a phrase, that, a phrase that originated a few years ago, uh, primarily on Twitter and Tumblr. Does anyone know what Tumblr is? Oh, wow. All right. Amen. A couple of people. Their social media platforms is primarily meant for sharing pictures and things like that. And on, this, on these uh, social media sites, this phrase came out. And it's kind of a shorthand phrase um, when talking about, like, my inability to deal with something. So the phrase is, I can't even, right? So if, if something's, like, super cute, it's like, oh, I can't even deal with how cute that is. Or if something's, like, um, you know, maybe just, like, too much to deal with, people would just be like, I can't. I just can't. I can't deal with it. I can't handle it. I can't do anything about it. But I think in in each of our lives, there's maybe some tougher I can'ts that we've encountered. And I know I've encountered them in my own life, uh, moments where I just, I couldn't even. I couldn't even deal. I couldn't even handle it. I didn't have the words to say. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had no resources left. I had no ability to change my circumstance or my situation. I felt like God was a million miles away, and I just couldn't even. Now, maybe if I were to pass a microphone around the church today and we had ourselves a testimony service, I bet each and every person in here could have at least one moment where they just couldn't even anymore, where they felt like, I don't have anything left. I don't know what to do. God, it feels like you're a far way away from me right now. And I would, I would venture to bet that all of us have at least one, if not more, I can't even moments. And in those moments, especially in the depth of difficulty of I can't even, That's where questions start to arise. The questions of, what am I supposed to do? The questions of, how do I go on? Where is God? Am I really all alone? The questions of, how do I pray when it feels like God's mad at me? What do I say to God when it seems like he is ignoring me? And how do I handle myself in in the depth of an I can't even moment? Where you really, literally, genuinely just don't know what to do. And you can't see the way forward. We're going to look at the life of Jeremiah, who I happen to believe wrote the book of Lamentations, even though there's no authorship ascribed to the book of Lamentations. Uh, But we're going to be in chapter 3 today. So go ahead and turn your Bibles. Lamentations chapter 3. And we're going to see a man who is right in the midst of an I can't even moment. 
He doesn't know how to handle himself. He doesn't know how to go forward. His whole life seems to be falling apart. He calls himself the man who has seen affliction. That's what he calls himself. And Lamentations, in my opinion, was written by the prophet Jeremiah to handle this I can't even moment. That he actually wrote a book of poetry, five chapters, five separate poems, four of which are acrostics, which means that uh, each line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So for us, it would be A, B, C, D, beautiful poetry. And here in Lamentations chapter 3, which is really like the heart of the book, we see an acrostic triplet. So it's A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 really uh, just sort of expounding upon the purpose and the weight of Lamentations chapter 3. If you've been with us for these last two weeks as we've been in this series called Good Morning, uh, and morning that is good, meaning it's right and wise and needed, you've seen that there is tragedy that has befallen Judah, right? Israel and Judah have split into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Jerusalem is found in the southern kingdom of Judah, which was the city set upon a hill uh, in, in uh, ancient Israel. And Jerusalem has been destroyed by Babylonians led by King Nebuchadnezzar. Jerusalem has been entirely sacked. The temple has been torn down. Abominable things have happened in the temple. And Jeremiah, this was his hometown, and he was the prophet to Judah at this time. And he's looking at this destruction. And if you've been with us for the past two weeks, you see where Judah is likened to a woman who has been an adulteress, who has wandered away from her God and gone to be with other gods. Now, Jeremiah is standing over what I would presume to be uh, the brokenness and the fallenness of Jerusalem. And he says, I can't even, I can't even begin to express myself. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. It's one of the worst moments in this nation's history and certainly one of the worst moments in my life as I'm experiencing it firsthand. And I think he writes this poetry to express firsthand what he was going through, what was happening in his life, and gives us an example of how we are to lament. Gives us an example of how we can take this methodology into our own lives and receive healing. I want to fast forward uh, all the way to verse 18 where he says, it's kind of a crux verse in here. He says, so I say my endurance has perished as has my hope from the Lord. I can't go any further. I don't have any more strength. I have no more resources to continue. And in fact, hope has died in me. This is where Jeremiah is. Probably the worst moment of his life as he's cataloging this for us. And then somehow, this is the question we all have to answer today. It's answered in Jeremiah's life. We have to answer it for our own lives. Somehow, from verse 18 to verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind. In other words, I'm remembering this thing, therefore I have hope. So how does he go from hope being utterly dead in verse 18 to now I have hope in verse 21? This is exactly the question that we need to answer in our own lives. How many of you feel like your life has hit rock bottom at some point? How many of you have been the man or woman that feels like I've faced affliction? I have been afflicted with things. Chapter 3 can help us answer these questions and give us a way forward, showing us our big idea that lament allows us to hope. That the real spiritual discipline of biblical lament, of actually going through our pain, going through our difficulty, 
that is actually the thing that would draw us into hope. Because often it's at the worst moments in our life when we don't see a way forward. It's at the depth of darkness in our life when we just feel most hopeless and drained of all energy and feel like I just can't do anything about this that would cause us to say I can't even. Lamentations is going to show us two ways today. Somebody say two ways. Two ways that lament allows us to hope today. We're going to read uh, the first 24 verses of chapter 3, but we're going to start with just the first 18 verses. So we need to read it all because we have to go through this journey with Jeremiah. We can't skip over anything. We need to go through the whole journey with him because he's inviting us into his his affliction in point number one. Point number one is that we are to acknowledge our affliction. Acknowledge our affliction. This is what Jeremiah is doing in these first 18 verses where the first two chapters paints Judah as the one who is afflicted. The nation of Judah as the one who is afflicted. And now Jeremiah is saying, this is all on me now. He is the one who is experiencing this affliction as God's prophet. Let's read these first 18 verses together. If you have your Bible, we're in Lamentations 3, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen behind me. Uh, If you would like a physical Bible, you can go to the Connect desk right over here, and somebody will get you a Bible. Either way, you need to be reading God's Word for yourself today. Amen? Okay, we got three people ready to read the Bible. Hallelujah. Let me get us all excited. First 18 verses. I am the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his, God's, wrath. He is driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He's bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples. The object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness and sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. As Jeremiah writes this poetry, you can feel the depth of his heartbreak. As he uses this imagery, as he uses these metaphors to describe God, who Jeremiah feels as though he's been afflicted by the rod of his wrath. Now we know it's the Babylonians who have invaded Jerusalem and the nation of Judah, and they're the ones who are uh, firsthand responsible for all these things. But we know also, ultimately, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, when things happen, God is responsibly in control. God is not irresponsibly letting things happen out of his control. He is the one who is in control. He is the one punishing Judah for sin. He is the one who is afflicting Jeremiah and causing him to feel these things for all the reasons that we saw in chapters 1 and 2. And we will see the next two weeks over chapters 4 and 5. But Jeremiah says, I am stricken by this affliction. 
My heart is crushed. My life feels broken. He likens God to a shepherd who is disciplining his sheep with a rod. Likens him to a jailer who has put heavy chains on him and blocked him in and won't even listen to his cries for help. He has locked him up and thrown away the key. He likens God to a predator hunting its prey. And he says that this is who I am right now. This is where my life is right now. This is the grief that I'm experiencing. This is the burden that has been laid on me. This is the humiliation from all the other peoples around me. I've been turned into a laughingstock and it feels like I'm eating dirt. Whatever I can't even really is. I'm fairly certain Jeremiah is experiencing that right here. I'm fairly certain he has made it to the end of his rope. He has hit rock bottom. He has no more energy, no more resources. Shalom has left him. Happiness is gone. And it can't get any worse for him than this moment. Now why do we spend time on this, acknowledging our affliction? Because Jeremiah is proving something to us in Lamentations chapter 3 in the first 18 verses. He's proving that we can acknowledge our affliction. And he's proving that this is perhaps the most important part in the journey of lament. Acknowledging your affliction. Actually talking about it. Actually going there. Actually going all the way down. Jeremiah is essentially proving to us that God can handle our pain even when we're accusing him as the one of hurting us. Now this passage invites us into this. And why do we need to be invited into this? Because what we're tempted to do when we're hurt is to avoid pain, ignore pain, and lessen pain, and put a happy Christian spin on it, right? And say, it's okay. I'm okay. How many of you, when somebody has asked you how you're doing, you said fine and didn't mean it? All of us need to acknowledge our affliction because we, we, we believe in this lie that the Christian thing to do is I'm just going to be happy and I'm going to portray hope because I follow Jesus so I can't be sad because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and everything is going to be okay if I can just trust him and you're weeping and breaking down inside because you haven't acknowledged the depth of your affliction. And what we do, friends, when we do that is we actually steal something from ourselves. When we lie to ourselves, because you can't lie to God, right? You could try to play God, but you're just going to get played. That's always how it goes. He knows everything. He knows all of your affliction. But it would be like this. If I broke my right arm playing basketball, uh, and I went into the doctor, and I was like, ah, hey, doc, I need help. And he's like, oh, Ryan, what's wrong? I'm like, I have a hangnail on my pinky. And he's like, oh, okay. Cuts it off, puts some, a Band-Aid on it, and he's like, you're good to go. And I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> and I'm walking out and my arm is still broken. I didn't acknowledge the depth of my affliction, so I couldn't be healed the way that I was supposed to be healed. Now, God is not like a man, a male or a female doctor, like he doesn't know what's going on. But when we don't invite him in, all the way into our affliction, you're just going to have surface healing. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the depth of healing. I want the depth of hope that only when we acknowledge our affliction, invite God into this, can we receive real healing? Can we receive real hope? And when we haven't been honest about the reality that we're enduring, this is where the power of laments can come in. It can invite us in to be real and honest, even if it means that we're pointing the finger at God saying, you did this to me, God. You can be mad at God. It's okay. He wants all of you. 
And maybe today for you, you find yourself right in the middle of an I can't even moment. Maybe some of you came to church today mad at God. You're like, why would you do this to me? Why would you take this from me? I'm going to go to church today, but you better do something about this, God. They were putting God in a position saying, I'm going to do your thing, but you better fix this because I'm mad. Or, or maybe you've experienced moments in your life, I don't know, 6, 36 years ago, where you've never rectified where God was at the moment of the depth of your pain. At the moment when that church did you wrong and you said, I'm never going to serve at a church again. At the moment where your parents abused you and you said, I'll never trust anyone again. At the moment where that man or that woman left you and you said, I'll never, ever trust anyone again if God could let this happen to me. Or maybe that day will come for you in the future when you are in the midst of an I can't even moment and you can't reconcile what's going on because you're scared to acknowledge your affliction. But I want to be encouraging to you today to tell you to be honest with God. He already knows everything you're going through. But when you don't acknowledge your own affliction, you are the one shutting him out of your own healing. So when we can acknowledge our own affliction, which we know this because we, we see this in families all the time, don't we? Not by a show of hands, but you know, you'll get this. How many families in here had to have a Memorial Day party on Sunday for one side of the family and a Memorial Day party on Monday for the other side of the family because you can't, do, you don't have to raise your hand, it's okay, but I see some hands shoot up, I get it, it's okay, right? I have this in, in my own extended family. My, my grandparents died in 2002 and my dad and his sister haven't spoken since then because they can't acknowledge their affliction. They can't acknowledge, hey, you did something, ouch, it hurt me. This is how you get real healing. This is where real healing comes from. God is not like one of your petty friends, right, that you don't get to be who you really are around, right? And I know some of us and definitely don't show your hands. Definitely don't raise your hands because your friends may be in this church, right? I'm trying to protect you here, right? That many of us have petty friends that we can't actually be ourselves around because they're like, oh, man, why are you killing the vibe? It's like, well, because my heart's broken because I'm sad. God's not like that. God's like, whatever you're going through, I want it all. And God is not insecure like many of us or our friends are where we're like, oh, I can't, I can't handle the hard stuff. I can't be around people that are really going through too much, right? I just want to keep it, uh, I want to go along to get along. I want to fake it till I make it, right? How many of you have ever said fake it till you make it? Come on, let's be honest here. You never make it. You die is what happens, right? Because if you fake it with Jesus, he's like, oh, yeah, no, nah, you didn't have me fooled. And you made it to hell so when we fake it till we make it with jesus we're missing it church acknowledging our affliction with jesus christ acknowledging our affliction with god is exactly what he desires we may not feel like that's what he wants but we have to really invite him all the way into the depth of the pain maybe the origin story of your pain the root cause of your pain whatever it is acknowledging it just like jeremiah did who said i'm chewing on gravel I feel like you have shot me in the kidney with a bow and arrow. That's acknowledging your affliction. So God invites us into this acknowledgement of our affliction and all those feelings that come with it. Why? To bring it to him because right there, right in that very moment, right in the middle of your I can't even moment is where he meets you and something changes. 
And we see this in the next six verses, the last six verses we're going to cover today. We see Jeremiah's perspective change, and we don't really understand why until we dive deep into it, right? We went on this journey, this 18-verse journey with him where he's like, whoa, he is having a bad day. Jeremiah is sad. What's all this stuff going on in his life? He acknowledged his affliction to God, and then you start to see a change in perspective as he takes the second part of the journey of how lament allows us to hope. The first part is acknowledge your affliction. Whatever you're going through, bring it to God. Be honest about your hurt. Be honest about your pain. Because that's the only way you're going to get real healing. If you have surface honesty, you're going to have surface healing. Amen? The second part is remember your God. Acknowledge your affliction and then remember your God. Let's read verses 19 through 24. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So again, Jeremiah is teaching us something right here. He's teaching, he's saying, I didn't forget about everything, and I'm I'm asking you to remember as well, because we have to go on this journey together if I'm going to get real healing. And then verse 21, everything changes. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. How is it that he can just remember one thing, and now he has hope? He's at the worst moment of his life, completely rock bottom, and I can't even moment. I don't know how to handle all this stuff. My heart is broken, and God, you did it to me. But I remember this, and now I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, if you've grown up in a Christian tradition, you've surely heard these verses quoted. But I want to encourage you. Don't skip the bad parts just to get to the good part, right? Because what happens when that happens? When, when you go to somebody and you're like, oh, I'm crushed, my heart is broken, and they're like, new mercies every morning. What are you upset about? And you're like, well, they must not have come this morning. Like, my heart is broken. What's going on? So you have to be able to hold these two things in your hands. Fully acknowledging the affliction, fully walking this journey with Jeremiah to see like, man, his heart is broken. He is crushed. Worst day ever. He's having a very, very difficult time. Yet he calls this to mind and remembers this. We see a massive shift in our passage, a massive shift in the book. If you've been with us all three weeks in this series called Good Morning, where we're taking our sorrow to the Savior, these are the first happy verses you've heard in three weeks. Everything else has been sad, right? So it's climbing up to verse uh, 21 through 24 in chapter 3. That's the apex of Lamentations, the entire five chapters. And then after this, it all goes back downhill. So uh, hop back, enjoy it while it lasts, right? You're at the peak of the top of the roller coaster, and we're going to go down again next week. But what does Jeremiah remember? How does this happen? How does this massive shift in the passage, in the book, and actually inside of the author himself? This is what we need to catch, that the shift didn't occur in the circumstances. Jerusalem didn't get rebuilt. The Babylonians were still in Judah. The Israelites, the Hebrews, were still enslaved again after they had gone through and been delivered from Egyptian slavery into the promised land. Everything was reversed. Everything is still a disaster. But Jeremiah says, ooh, I remember something, and this is causing me to hope. He states that returning to what he knows or believes to be true about God is what's calling him to hope. This I call to mind could be translated. So mind here is the Hebrew word for for heart. It's lev. Uh, And this word means like my mind, my emotions, my thoughts, my desires, my will, my intellect, everything. So the heart is kind of an encapsulative term uh, in, in Hebrew. So he's saying this is something that I'm remembering in my heart that I know my God is rich in mercy 
See, I know my God is faithful. I know my God loves me, and I'm going to remember what it is he has done in my life. Acknowledging his affliction, remembering God, it invites him to return to what he knows to be true about God. How many of you have gotten through the hardest thing you've ever been through? So, some of us might be going through it today. Some of us may be in the hardest moment of our life today, and that is okay. But for everyone whose hand went up, did you get through it? So you can look back and say, I know my God is rich in love, is rich in mercy, is rich in faithfulness, is rich in steadfastness, and I can remember how he brought me through before, and I can believe he's going to bring me through again. So Pastor Mark Rogop, a great pastor in Indianapolis, wrote two great books on lamentations. One is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. The other is called Weep With Me. And he, he has this quote about lamentations. I couldn't say it any better, so I'm going to read what he said. Lamentation shows us hope does not come from a change of circumstances. Rather, it comes from what you know to be true despite the situation in front of you. So what exactly does Jeremiah do to experience hope? He starts preaching the Bible to himself. He paraphrases Exodus 34. This is why y'all got to read the Bible, right? This is why if you only come to church on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning and you never read the Bible any other time, I don't know how many people have had the hardest time of their life uh, on a Sunday morning at worship service. Usually it's like a Monday night at 1.30 a.m., right? Usually the hardest time in our life comes when we're not praising the Lord, saying yes and amen and hallelujah, and we're all smiling, hey brother, hey sister, good to see you, God bless you, and everything's good. Usually the hardest moment in our life comes at another time. This is why you've got to read the Bible for yourself, church. This is why we have to have the Bible inside of us so that when it comes, you can preach it to yourself. He preaches a sermon to himself saying, I am needing to be reminded of the realities of my God where every day new mercy is, where every day I have another opportunity to encounter the love of God. It, it causes him to remember the greatness of God's faithfulness. And it's here as he preaches to himself, as his circumstances have not changed at all, as he's remembering and acknowledging his affliction and his God that something remarkable happens that hope begins to emerge not at all because circumstances have changed but because he remembered that the circumstances did not change God not at all that circumstances change that's usually when we're real quick to praise God right I had a flat tire this week and when I took it to bell tire and they took a screw out of it and gave me a free patch I was like praise God because the circumstance changed right but my flat tire did not change God at all. So we need to remember that it's not the circumstances that need to be changed. It is our hearts looking at God that needs to be changed. God will never change. Our hearts are what can change. So even if you're going through something crazy, if your heart is right, you can get through it. If your heart is fixed on the Lord and you're saying, I know my God. I know my God will get me through. And even if he doesn't, I know I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Somebody quoted that. Uh, Shara quoted that to me yesterday. She was like, I told my friend that even if I die, I'm going to heaven. And she said her friend still hasn't answered her back. It was like 10 days ago on text message, right? Because it should look crazy. It should sound crazy when our hearts and our minds are fixed on God. The second thing that Jeremiah recalls, right? He says, this I call to mind or this I'm reminding my heart of. Verse 24, he says, my soul is now preaching. My soul is preaching that the Lord is my portion, right? So what does that mean? The, so the Hebrew word for heart is lev. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. And those two things put together are like the entirety of a person. 
all of your thoughts, feelings, strength, emotions, desire, will, everything. Your entire being is encapsulated here. So Jeremiah says, I remembered this in my heart, and now my soul is preaching this. And Jeremiah here, he, he's highlighting an extremely important truth for us. If you have God, you have everything. If you have God, you have everything. Because what we get hung up on is that God is simply a means to end our suffering. No, God is the end. God is not a means to an end. He is the end. This is where we want to be. Jeremiah, and, and probably some of the, the most often quoted verse that Jeremiah wrote down, maybe something in the New Covenant, but probably not in chapter 31, is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? That's quoted all the time. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, you know, for your welfare, to prosper you. It's going to be great. You're going to be delivered, all these things. He's talking about a nation being delivered from slavery. He wasn't necessarily talking to your high school senior that graduated, right? Like, so there's a lot of things in here. But these these verses get quoted, and Jeremiah doesn't say, I hope in your deliverance. He doesn't say, my hope is in you talking about these plans you have for me and prospering me. No, he says, you are my portion, Lord. You are all I want. Not even something you can give me, God. You are all I want. You are all I need. Getting to God is all we're called to do. Even our devotions that might make us feel good are only meant to get us to God. It's not the thing. Because ultimately, if we are found in Christ and this life is over, which it's going to end very quickly, even if you live a good long 112 years, whatever it is, it is quick in the, in the sight of eternity where all the clothes that you're wearing today are going to end up in the junkyard. Every car you own is going to end up in the junkyard. All that stuff, it's all going to go away and you're going to live for eternity, either with God or separated from God. Jeremiah says, my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole being says, you are my portion. You are my inheritance. God, you are the thing that I want, the thing that I need, because you cannot have hope if you don't see a future. If you are stuck in the darkness and you can't see a future, there is no reason to hope. But when you see God, when you see Jesus Christ, when you see him high and lifted up, when you see his train fill the temple, when you see him and him alone standing victorious over Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, and your old self, you can say, I have hope. Whatever I'm going through, I can hope in you. Hope emerges from remembering Jesus is all you need. This is why God strips you down of all this other stuff. This is why at, at most of our lives, in the lowest moments of our lives, the lowest moment of my life, I had no possessions. Because my parents got rid of all my stuff and they moved and I was in jail. And I was like, okay, I have nothing. And God was like, oh, this is the first time that I ever heard him. He was like, oh, no, 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 no. You have me. And I was like, who are you? What is this? What do, you, what do you mean? And that started a journey for me. And I think that every single one of us in here that has had something stripped away from you can testify and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking the stuff away from me that I never needed anyway to prove to me that if I have you, I have everything. 
to prove to me that if I have Jesus, I have all I will ever need. This is called desert spirituality. You know that you are wholeheartedly committed to Jesus if when you have nothing else but Jesus and you can say thank you. If when everything else seems to fade fade away and you can say thank you. Because Jesus, I have you and I don't need anything else. And And again, this hope emerges from remembering we have Jesus and we can remember we have Jesus because we can remember God's character all throughout the Old Testament as a covenant-keeping God who is faithful in his covenantal love to give us Jesus. And preaching the gospel to ourselves, preaching the Bible to ourselves ought to remind us as we preach the good news to ourselves that there is another man who saw affliction. Just like Jeremiah said, I am a man who has seen affliction. There's another man that saw affliction, even worse than what Jeremiah saw. And, there was an, and this man was innocent of all wrongdoing. And there was another man who received the wrath of the rod of God, received all the punishment and felt the Father's hand turn against him. And he took the punishment for our sins to show us what? The never-ending love and mercy of a Father who cares about us. And when that happened, when he died on that cross, he defeated Satan, sin, death, hell, the grave, all your affliction, all your pain, all your suffering, all your abuse, all of your backbiting, all the gossip, everything was defeated with finality there so that we could spend time with God for all of eternity in a new creation. So that is why it is so important for us, church, to acknowledge our affliction, remember our God, and go to the scriptures because the scriptures all point to Jesus, which ultimately point to hope. So that when you are suffering, when you can acknowledge your affliction, you need to preach these truths to your own heart. Preach these truths to your own soul. I got no problem getting up here on a Sunday morning and yelling hope words to you. But I know some of you are going to need it on a Friday night. I know some of us on a Tuesday afternoon when we get fired are going to need the gospel to be preached to ourselves. And it's through the practice of acknowledging our affliction and remembering our God that we can begin to find hope. Lament allows us to hope when you actually do it. So in the I can't even moment in your life, Whether it's already happened, whether it's about to happen, whether you're in it right now, whether it happened 25 years ago, whatever it was, we need to remember our God and that's how we're going to find the hope that we need. It's not going to be from the circumstances getting better. It's going to be from looking at God and saying, you are all that I need. You are everything that I want. That's why we just sung this song. And we need to remember that God has never changed. No matter your circumstances, no matter your highs or your lows, God is no different. He is constant. But what can change for us is when we realize the depth of the answer that our hearts have been looking for all along has always been there. That's when a change can occur. It's there we find hope and it's there that lament allows us to hope. So as the worship team comes back out, I want to share with you um, my own prayer of lament. This is from a few years ago in my life. And, And it's a perfect illustration for acknowledging our affliction and remembering our God. How many married people out here? Or if you've ever been married, you can put your hand up. How many of you had a perfect first year of marriage? <laughs> Great job. That's the right answer, Jim. Jim, Jim got the husband points. Hallelujah. Right there. <laughs> I told you husbands, I'm always trying to hook you all up, right? I'm always trying to hook you up, right? 
So we had, a, we had a rough first year of marriage, and then we had a rough seventh year of marriage. Anybody else? It's weird. I didn't think it was a real thing. And then I'm like, oh, wow, dang, this is real. Uh, and now we're in our 11th year of marriage, and I thank God that he's continued to have his good hand upon us and brought us through. But in our seventh year of marriage, something happened. And it wasn't until I understood the practice of lament that I could actually work through this. Because we just fought for like five months straight. How many, anybody ever been in a five-month fight? Yeah, absolutely. I've been there. Yeah. Whew. And my prayer was constantly like, God, change her. And don't raise your hands, husband. That's definitely one you keep your hand down for. Don't say amen. Don't laugh. Just cry. Start crying. And God was like, okay, I'm listening. I'm like, why, why do we have to talk about everything? God. And because my past, which is wrought with pain and hurt and betrayal and abuse, I kept a place in my heart that I didn't let anybody into, not even my wife. A place that the walls were so high that nobody could get in. And that was the place that the real change needed to happen, but I was stuck on her. And I was saying, if you could just make her like this or that or this, everything would be fine, God. And my prayer of lament, and every prayer of lament has the same four things, right? That we turn to God, we complain, we ask him for something, and then we trust, right? Turn, complain. I'm in the complaining mode right now in the, in the seventh year of my marriage. I'm complaining about why does it look like this? Why does it have to be like this? This is so hard. This is not how it's supposed to be. And I, I should probably quit the ministry because if, if my marriage can't be right, I shouldn't even be doing this. I should, we should not even live here anymore. We need to leave and cower in shame and run away. And God was like, okay, I'm listening. What do you want? And I said, I want change. He said, good. I'd be happy to give that to you. But it's you who needs to change. I was like, okay. So I began to acknowledge my affliction, realizing completely that my affliction had nothing to do with anyone else. My affliction had to do with my own heart and how I was handling anything. If Jesus could be spat upon, have his beard plucked out, have a crown of thorns plunged into his head, and he said, Father, forgive them, perhaps I can work on some of that too. So we went through this, and I asked God to open that door, to knock down that wall in my heart, and actually let somebody in. And what I saw was that my circumstances didn't need to change for healing. Because the same woman that God knew I would need as my spouse, to love me unconditionally before, during, and after. She's still the best wife in here. I'm sorry, husbands. God bless you. Uh, wow. Don't clap, husbands. Okay, good. God had given me already. It was already in front of me because he gave it to me. He gave her to me to love me through that invulnerability that I wouldn't share, to let her in, and that she would actually stay. That she wouldn't say, oh, wow, you are disgusting. Or, or, or wow, yeah, every, every bad thing everybody's ever said about you, they were right. But she saw it and she loved me. Acknowledging my affliction right then and there. That was what I asked. So then I had the trust to say, God, any hurt I encounter, you can heal. God, any uh, time that I might uh, feel abandoned, you will never leave me or forsake me. God, any time that I might feel nervous or scared, you greeted your disciples almost more than hello. You said, fear not. 
time and time and time and time again. So in our prayer of lament, whatever you're going through, acknowledge your affliction. Feel free to complain to God. Get mad at him. And even blame it on somebody else if you want to. That's what I did. And then he was like, okay, I'm listening. I'm here. Can we talk now? And I said, yeah. He's like, it's you. So I said, okay, what do I need to do? I ask for help. And then we trust that God's going to do something about it. So when we realize that the thing that we have wanted or needed has been right in front of us all along, then we stop complaining at our circumstances and we start trusting God. The God who no circumstance has ever changed. The God who has already given everything we need to heal from all of our hopelessness. And he gave it to us in Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's the final answer here. That my wife nor I are the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of every single story. But for any man in here, you need to find you a wife that loves Jesus. If you are called to be married, find one that loves Jesus more than she loves you. And your stuff will go good, I promise you. So as we acknowledge our affliction, I want freedom to be the thing we encounter today. I don't want us to be better poets or better criers. Freedom is what comes from acknowledging your affliction. Freedom is what comes from remembering your God as the covenant-keeping, promise-making, promise-keeping God that will never leave you or forsake you, whatever you're going through. He has reconciled things much further apart than my wife and I when he reconciled the entirety of sinful humanity to himself, a purely holy God. So whatever it is you're going through, acknowledge your affliction all the way out. Go all the way and don't get surface healing. Go down deep. Get healing all the way down. Whatever you got to do. Whether that's being open and honest with your spouse about something that you've kept secret for a month, a week, 10 years, 30 years, whatever it is today. That's where healing comes from. Healing comes from acknowledging your affliction right away. So you can remember your God. But you got to walk the whole journey, church. So for us as a church, as Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac, I pray that we get freedom from this type of message. As we have two more weeks in this series, know that that is what we are praying for our entire congregation is freedom. Not just uh, airing grievances, freedom from the things that are holding on to us. Because when your gaze is fixed on Christ, you don't get distracted by anything else. When you are looking at Jesus, hanging on the cross for you, somehow everybody else's sin seems to get much smaller as you're looking at Jesus on the cross for your sin. So I'm gonna close us in a word of prayer and we're going to sing uh, sort of the, the keynote hymn from this scripture. Great is thy faithfulness. That we need to remember we have a faithful God who will always be with us, who will never leave us, never forsake us. And he wants you to acknowledge whatever the pain was. Whether that was one of your parents left when you were nine, whether that was your spouse cheated on you, whether that was you've been abused and never talked about it in a way, whether you got fired from your job for embezzling money or you got fired for no reason. Whatever it is, acknowledge your affliction with the Lord, remember his faithfulness and watch him work in your life and watch him free you from the things that have been holding you down. This is why we walk the journey with Jeremiah. So as we stand to our feet together, and I lead us in a brief prayer. Let's remember the faithfulness of our God. Father in heaven, I say thank you. Thank you that your faithfulness is all I've ever needed. That even when I'm faithless, you haven't left me. Even when I don't know which way to go, you are present. Even when I try and do it on my own, you show up at exactly the right time. 
So show up for us as a church family, as a spiritual family on mission. Show up for us at exactly the right time. As we are on the precipice of something that you are drawing us into. But we can't get there if we're holding on to old hurts and old habits. If we're holding on to painful past and hurtful history, we won't get there. So please help us acknowledge our affliction. Help us grieve it all the way out so that we can see your faithfulness as we remember our covenant-keeping God who sent his son Jesus. I love you. I praise you. I thank you. I trust you because your faithfulness is all I need. May we remember that you'll never break a promise right now in our hearts for your glory by your grace. In your mighty name, Jesus Christ, we ask. Together we say amen and amen. Let's put our hands together for a faithful God singing worship and praise to him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.